0: You probably chose your career path, but for some people, the path chooses them. That's how it was for Austin singer-songwriter Bill Oliver, better known in music and environmental circles as Mr. Habitat.
1: For the Otter Space Band, we sing tree-hugging songs. Barton Springs Eternal have to have a habitat, and we've been doing that sort of thing for. 25 years.
0: Combining his passions of music and the environment was easier than choosing between them.
1: As, a, as young as I can remember, I, I was torn between Chuck Berry and Smokey Bear. Couldn't make a decision, so I didn't, and I just pursued both, and eventually they came together.
0: <laughs> During the 1990s, I worked at a commercial music radio station in Austin. Local and Texas singer-songwriters dominated the playlist. We also aligned ourselves with the zeitgeist of the day, which at the time was environmental awareness and stewardship. One of my favorite jobs at the station involved producing a daily one-minute feature called Earth Update, which offered listeners easy-to-follow tips for living a more environmentally mindful life. During those years, I met a diverse group of people in Austin and Central Texas whose vocations and avocations involved keeping the planet healthy. One of those folks was Bill Oliver. On this podcast, I'll introduce you to Bill and share a bit about how the confluence of the natural world, the Mississippi River, and Mark Twain shaped his music and his life. Stay with us. From Texas Parks and Wildlife, this is Under the Texas Sky, a podcast about nature and people and the connection they share. I'm Cecilia Nasti. Nature is magnetic. For some people, it becomes their true north, their life's path and purpose. Creative people seem especially tuned into that energy. And it's these folks we feature on our occasional segment called The Art of Nature. This time around, we visit with Austin singer-songwriter and activist, Bill Oliver. Leaning gracefully into middle age, Bill is tall, robust, and energetic. He's a friendly and charming man with soulful eyes that beam from beneath generous, expressive eyebrows. His mop of wavy, salt-and-pepper hair seems perpetually windblown even when covered with his signature white skipper's cap. Were a walrus-type mustache to sprout above his toothsome grin, he'd come as close to anyone I know to evoking the visage of Mark Twain. Which is apropos, as Twain was a constant companion during Oliver's teenage years, growing up in the then-new Briar Grove subdivision of Houston.
1: Flatter than it could be, and little trees held up by, brand-new trees about an inch wide, held up with, you know, little ropes. That was the wilderness. But down at the end of that street was the Briar Grove Ditch. And if you had all day, you could walk down to Buffalo Bayou. And I spent a lot of time in the Buffalo, in the Briar Grove Ditch. It had snakes and turtles and some fish, and it was funky. And I took Mark Twain, and I took my first guitar down there, and I learned to play the Battle of New Orleans and read Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn down there at the Briar Grove Ditch. Colonel Jackson down to mighty and by the time I got to my second year of uh, college, sort of, UT Arlington, I, they kept giving us Mark Twain to read and I couldn't take it anymore. I'd already imprinted. I was born in St. Louis, for heaven's sake, and I was
0: already there. Mm-hmm. When the summer of 1968 rolled around, Bill Oliver had had enough of university and embarked on a Huckleberry Finn-type adventure of his own.
1: went to the Mississippi River with a homemade raft and I spent uh, the summer of '68 drifting the Mississippi River to the Shafalaya River in Louisiana, the intercoastal waterway, up to the Trinity River, up the Trinity River, halfway to Dallas. the longest all-water approach to Dallas ever attempted. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so that was it. That trip really did it, and uh, after that it was hitchhiking and music and back to the water. We're still on that raft.
0: By the end of that summer, Bill knew what he wanted, a life of meaning, making music with an environmental message, and living on his own terms.
1: I was a slacker from the beginning. South Austin, lived in Travis Heights on a a three-and-a-half-acre fire ant ranch for $50 a month for the armadillo years. And I've kind of kept that. I've had plenty of free time. I haven't had to work for anybody except myself pretty much. Had plenty of river time when I wanted it and time to wait for songs to come around and do things that lots of people say I would give anything to do that but I've got a job you know so I've had Mm. those opportunities that lifestyle has been very important and it's come with meeting a lot of great folks you know hanging out at Kerrville Folk Festival and hanging out with an Auduboners and activists lots of activists it's very important uh, marching and and, uh, being at rallies
0: I spoke with Bill in early spring at a place called The Yard, which does its part to keep Austin weird. It's a seemingly disorganized three-acre site that's off the beaten path, yet still in the heart of South Austin. The Yard is industrial in nature and ringed by a collection of buildings pieced together with old lumber and corrugated steel. A few shipping containers find refuge there, too. In total, these random structures provide storage, workshops, and studios for an eclectic group of tradespeople, artists, and artisans. The Union Pacific tracks run behind and parallel to a weedy, weathered fence about 10 feet from the back of a bespoke building, which serves as Bill's studio office. It's there that he stores the props and supplies he uses in his performances and at the annual Mother Earth Day Festival, where they celebrate the Barton Creek Watershed in Austin's Zilker Park. Hey, here comes the train. What is arguably the tallest man-made structure at the yard is a tower, about 15 feet tall, pieced together with reclaimed stage beams from the old Armadillo World Headquarters, where countless musical legends performed, and plywood from a John Hartford gig from the 1980s. (laughs) Don't ask. The viewing platform gives anyone who ascends the staircase a clear view of the site and passing trains. Bill calls his creation a flying riverboat, an earth flag bill received from his girlfriend and bandmate virginia palmer and an american flag that he received from u.s congressman lloyd doggett which flew over the capitol building in washington dc
1: so very many days a week an open ore train goes by and it's full of white gravel and i think it's the train that ken findley's talking about there goes the hill country The hills at Cowgap are rugged and awesome, but you have to have fill dirt when you're building a road. The hills at Cowgap that weathered the ages were hauled off the map at $12 a load.
0: The hills at Cowgap stood rugged and awesome But you have to have fill dirt when you're building a road And the hills at Cowgap But whether the ages got wiped off the map at $12 a load. The Texas Hill Country, with its myriad crystal springs and cool flowing waters, and the Rio Grande River that serves as a lifeblood of South Texas and Northern Mexico, as well as other water sources, habitat, and wildlife, remain top of mind for Bill Oliver. Most of what he does in life As well as in the songs that he writes and performs, he does to draw attention to the value and fragility of these resources, and to Texans' responsibility to conserve and protect them. Some messages are just easier to hear when shared in song. This is Under the Texas Sky, a podcast about nature and people and the connection they share. I'm Cecilia Nasty. Singer, songwriter, and activist Bill Oliver combined his lifelong love of music and environmentalism into a career that brings the message of stewardship to the public.
1: Habitat, habitat, have to have a habitat, habitat have to have a habitat, habitat. Habitat. have to have a habitat. You have to have a habitat to carry
0: on. Bill regularly takes habitat. his musical Very message to the youngest, youngest among us. He says children are in tune habitat. with their instincts. They don't hesitate to question suspect concepts and, concepts and to do so without habitat. regard for adult Please discomfort.
1: Habitat. Have to have a habitat, habitat. habitat. Have to have a habitat, habitat, habitat. Have to have a habitat, you have to have a habitat to carry on.
0: Children lack guile and unbegrudgingly change their minds when presented with deeper truths. A
1: bear could scratch her back. When you're, I guess you're closer to the ground, to the flowers, maybe you identify with them more, but uh, I always identified with the kids and had an e- easy time with them. Half my act is wiggling my eyebrows and being kind of, you know, a little silly, a little goofy, and they, and I can do that with some adults. <laughs> if that sparks still there
0: yet bill told me that even the kiddos like serious songs
1: that first for sure really well i i know a ballad or two that connects with them in a 30-minute program makes it a much, much stronger, uh, and they do that. They love that Rio Grande Valley song. There's not a lot of us a lot Along the Rio Grande I sang that with a group of kids and 5th graders who live in the valley about They learned the whole six-minute song and sang it with me like 20 times. We had a little tour down there in the 90s. And I'd, I always mess up a word or two, and they get every word right. Just, just every all those eyes will look over at me. You did it again, Mr. Oliver. <laughs> <laughs> There's now a string of pearls that forms the wildlife corridor.
0: What kinds of questions do kids ask you? Well,
1: there can be right up there. I heard of a plastics lobbyist that was trying to convince these kids that uh, their plastic was okay because it broke down faster. And the kids say, and then what? And then what? And he said, well, it just broke down into smaller pieces, right? Say, yeah, which makes it
0: easier for them to be eaten by the birds, right? <laughs> Oliver says an innate affinity for nature, in tandem with a highly sensitive adult nonsense detector, makes children passionate protectors of our wild things and wild places. At the time I met him in the spring of 1990, Bill was involved in the Save Our Springs Alliance, a loose coalition of citizens that spawned a movement by the same name. The Save Our Springs movement became a drive to oppose the 4,000-acre Barton Creek PUD development, proposed to be built along the ecologically fragile Barton Creek watershed. That movement led to the Save Our Springs Ordinance. An all-night city council meeting on June 7, 1990 brought together a diverse group of citizens speaking passionately about protecting the area, which became a turning point for their efforts. The SOS Ordinance, as it became known, limits development along Barton Creek and the other creeks draining to or crossing the Edwards Aquifer Recharge Zone. It became law by a citizens' initiative. And in 1992, a who's who of Austin's music makers and others gathered to record a tribute to the SOS Ordnance victory in August of that year. The song, written by Bill Oliver and called Barton Springs Eternal, became not only one of his best-known compositions, but also a kind of anthem for the protection of all fragile ecosystems.
1: How many times we read and weep, Barton Springs. Watch development as it creeps up. Barton Springs Eternal. This piecemeal progress and grand demise has been mauled and gulfed and condolized. We don't want no conservation prize. We want Barton Springs Eternal. Barton
0: Springs Eternal. The success of the Barton Springs Alliance did not end all challenges facing that ecosystem. And so the work continues as it does for other Texas communities and communities worldwide, which confront the ongoing challenges of balancing growth with environmental protections. In Texas, as long as those struggles persist, you can bet Bill Oliver will too. Be it water, walls, wildlife, or weather, he'll be at the forefront empowering us to make a difference, large or small, but always with a catchy tune.
1: Please don't leave the water running when you wash the dog Or when you do the dishes or you finish with the lawn Install a smaller shower head, fix a leaky spout If we don't waste the water, the water won't run out
0: And so we come to the end of another podcast. Under the Texas Sky is a production of Texas Parks and Wildlife and is available at underthetexassky.org or wherever you get your podcasts. We record at the Block House in Austin, Texas. Joel Block does our sound design. Susan Griswold and Benjamin Kalin provide distribution and web help. I'm your producer and host, Cecilia Nasty, reminding you that life's better outside when you're under the Texas sky.
1: Half my act is wiggling my eyebrows and being kind of, you know, a little silly and a little goofy.
0: Join us again next time for Under the Texas Sky.